Well, first of all, thank you very much for allowing us to come here, and um, thank you very much for your prayers. Uh, I know that we couldn't go anywhere uh, to where we go without people's prayers, and that's not, I'm not just saying that to patronize you, uh, and we genuinely mean that. Without people's prayers, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. I'll mention in a few minutes about something about our latest trip and Janice is going to say something as well. Um, but I want to speak tonight about going to another level. Because when you go on these trips, you always learn something. We never give them anything. They always give us. It's always them giving us spiritually. Uh, we might give them gifts, but they give us something else. And they give us uh, an amazing amount of spirituality, a challenge. And um, one of the main lessons taught to us on our recent trip to Morocco was that people are mainly one to the Lord Jesus Christ because of Christian lives. Um, there's no quick fixes outside of genuine revival. I mean that. Uh, it's costly, it's time-consuming, it's isolating, it's difficult. And um, an aspect that uh, we very rarely experienced before is that of intense spiritual oppression. Uh, praying was very difficult there. Um, thinking about God was not easy. It's not something that came to you very easily. Uh, and we met some students from Africa who, who seemed to know how to break through this. Uh, they did the conga in the church, by the way. Uh, I'm not saying you're going to do the conga to break through, but uh, they went for worship in a big, big way. And um, uh, there's no doubt they could show us the way forward by storming through this a cloud that hangs over. And we, we told in, in God's word, uh, we're struggling not against flesh and blood, against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There's a lot of stuff there that I can't go into, but I'm sure your pastor could. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff there against us praying and doing God's work. And if you remember the incident in Daniel, Daniel in chapter 9 was praying, fasting, pleading with the Lord. He confessed his own sins and the sins of his people. And Daniel was in a foreign country under a rule of, of ungodly men. And in chapter 10 it says, when someone had been sent, someone had been sent to Daniel as an answer to his prayer. And verse 12 says, don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. That's encouraging. Uh, and I've come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. See, some, an, an, an angel saying this. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Several things there, really. Uh, the prayer was heard from the first day. Um, there was a delay in the answer. Satan has his opposers to hinder answers to prayer. But God has the last word. It's worth remembering that. He will answer. And you know, as soon as we arrived back in Gatwick, it became easier to pray. It was quite a strange thing. We wouldn't call us a godly country at the moment, by any stretch of the imagination. But choruses came back to our minds. It was quite uncanny. We started singing choruses. And we couldn't do that out there very easily. Um, I, th I think simply because the spiritual forces in heavenly places were, were stopping things happening. And Morocco, we went to Morocco, Muslim Kingdom, up until January, 
of this year, the cost of becoming a Christian could have been hanging. Execution. It's 99.9% Muslim. And um, John and I, when we were praying about where to go, uh, we read something in Oswald Chambers that, that struck us. You know, sometimes you read something and it really strikes you. Well, this is what it was. Reach beyond your grasp. I thought that, wow, what's he saying here? What's God saying here? Reach beyond my grasp. And what it meant for us was we had to go without any contacts. We'd never done that before. Well, we have in the West Bank a little bit, but certainly not to a country like this. And um, our reach must exceed our grasp. And he goes on to say, Oswald Chambers says, beyond that, beware the danger of spiritual relaxation. That spoke very very powerfully to me. And what he's saying is that we should always be growing in the Lord. And that we should be stepping out in faith. Our reach must exceed our grasp. It's risky living, isn't it? God wants us to go to another level. Uh, it can be a long process in a country like Morocco for a Muslim to become a Christian. Um, the Christians, they go to another level. That's what it showed us. With their lives and became broken bread and poured out wine for the Lord Jesus. Uh, and the ones, ones we met, uh, they experienced isolation, sickness, hurt, but they committed to the long term. And uh, we want to share a few of these with you. Um, there we are, that's what Oswald Chambers says, and that really spoke to us before we went, pointing it in the wrong place. That's Morocco. It's more than that. Um, it's a very long country. It's a huge country. Uh, and um, uh, we went to Rabat and, Mar and Marrakesh and Casablanca. And I want John to tell you about this because I, I know it sounds almost something you read in a book. And it doesn't happen to us all the time. But it happened again this time. So you come and tell them about what happened at the, at the border. Okay. Oh, you want to stand up here, do you? Well, you know, I'm taller this way. <laughs> um, we, we, uh, we actually arrived at the airport, and the first thing you have to do is to change your money because they, they won't um, allow any Moroccan currency outside the country. And then we collected our bags, and we were herded into a queue to go through an X-ray machine, um, which hasn't happened to us for many, many years, not since we used to go to... Um, uh, China, so we were a little bit iffy about that. But anyway, we, we queued up now in this line to go through the x-ray machine. There was a man sat in front of the screen like this. Like this. He just didn't take his eyes off the screen. And we thought, oh, well, you know, he's bound to see what we've got because we were carrying scriptures. Um, there were also people calling people over to a table where they were asked to open their cases. So we got round the corner and the people in front of us were picked on and taken to this table and we thought, oh Lord, well, thank you that at least we're not taken there. And then we started really praying that something would happen that the x-ray machine would either break down or whatever. And you know, a miracle happened as has happened many times before. Um, the man in front of the screen was still there as we were putting our bags on the machine. And then a man came from nowhere to chat to him. He took his eyes away, they yacked away for about two minutes, and by then our cases had gone through and every single scripture that we took got through. So praise God. Yeah, oh. uh, yeah, okay. 
Now, there's loads of these there, and God speaks through Satsem. Pray for Satsem, this Christian satellite that's, that's geostationary, is fixed over the Mediterranean, and beams radio broadcast, TV broadcasts into all these Muslim countries. And you can't regulate that. People got televisions, and they tune in to Christian. Uh, and, and I know, now this lady, we met this lady, we can't give you her name, but um, she's quite amazing, really. She's, uh, we, we called her R, and... Um, it is R, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, this lady has been in that country for 20 years, uh, serving the Lord. We weren't allowed to meet any of the, uh, the believers, the Muslim believers. It wasn't safe. But we met people who worked with them. And she was one of them. And um, uh, she'd been caught uh, some years ago uh, with other members of her team. And um, got in front of the police, interrogated, interrogated, ended up before the judge, when they were wheeled in uh, to the judge's office, he had a table in front of him with all these scriptures piled up, a whole bundle of scriptures. And he was asking, what are these things? And they said, it's God's word. And they, they gave him a right dressing down. They asked if they could have them back. Of course, they didn't. Wouldn't give them back to them. Uh, they kept those. Uh, but one of the persons with her in her team, uh, she actually had the, the nerve to say, would you like to have a copy to the judge? I, I think he took it. So you never know that those scriptures are in there somewhere. So she was, do you want to say anything else about her? Yeah, go ahead. They were then thrown out of the country, and so they went to Gibraltar, uh, to the port of Algeciras. And as people were uh, going onto the ferry from Algeciras to Tangier, they were giving out scriptures. So the scriptures were getting in to Morocco, whichever way uh, that the Lord led them to do that. So, you know, it wasn't in vain that the judge had taken what they had. Now, then you, you never know what God's going to do. We, we climbed on a train uh, uh, to go from Marrakesh to, sounds very exotic, doesn't it? Humphrey Bogart type thing, uh, to, to Casablanca. And, and we went first class. It was only five or more than the second class. So it wasn't that big, big a deal, but it was comfortable. And we sat there, and, and in walked these two. And um, they sat opposite us, and we thought, well, she, they're Muslim. Uh, that's not a, a big statement for a Muslim country, is it? But he leant across, and he said in English, where are you from? Are you from, are you from the UK? And we said, yes, from Wales. I said, I'm from Birmingham. <laughs> it was quite an amazing experience because we talked for three hours with these people. And uh, he said something to us which uh, was quite, quite strange, really. You, you are devout Christians, aren't you? And we chatted away. And at the end of this journey, one of the things we'd taken with us was a DVD called Magdalena. And um, it's the story of Mary Magdalene from the Gospel of Luke. And we were able to give her a copy of that. Now, she likes television very much. And uh, she doesn't like what he watches. Uh, so we pray that she will watch that. Now, it became even more uh, amazing than that because we said goodbye uh, at the Casablanca station. And um, I wanted to see where we'd handed the Bibles over five years ago. And uh, I didn't remember where it was, really. I knew it was a McDonald's, and there's lots of McDonald's everywhere. And so we wandered around for about two hours, and Casablanca is a two-million city, and we ended up... Um, finding this McDonald's, and we walk in there, and Jan wanted ice cream. She went to get ice cream, turned around, guess who was behind us? That's not a coincidence. 
and we're able to talk to them and exchange addresses. You know, uh, we're praying for these people. God did that. Uh, so that was exciting for that to happen. That's the mosque in, I'm not going to show you many mosques, but uh, this is the biggest mosque in North Africa, uh, built by King Mohammed VI. Um, and then we met this lady. John will tell you about her. This is one of the people that's paying a price. This is, uh, we call her A, and she's from uh, Switzerland. She works with children with, with disabilities. A lot of them are blind, lots are deaf, and others, um, you know, lame or whatever. Um, she's paying a, a really um, big price to be there because when we were there, and it wasn't summer yet, the temperature was 42 degrees, and she's absolutely covered from head to toe with eczema. Um, a, a great price to pay, really. You know, it's, it's not comfortable at any time, is it? But in those temperatures, um, really bad. But she works with these children, and their mothers come to bring them to the centres. And while they are um, giving physiotherapy, taking them to the pool, etc., she is able just to befriend these women. Because that's the one thing that came across most, was that most of the people who become Christians in Morocco have come through friendship evangelism. Just the fact of someone coming alongside them. We met another lady that we gave a, a gift of money to. She's been in the country for, for 29 years and she's just coming to a point where she's um, uh, retiring. We gave her a gift and the first thing she said, we, we gave it for her own um, use really because she was coming home without a pension and she said I know where this gift has got to go because she'd been uh, witnessing and befriending uh, a Muslim lady who had a sister-in-law who was 32 years of age with two young children and she had a massive brain tumor and she didn't have any money for um, to pay for the operation and she said this gift is exactly the amount that is needed for her to go to the hospital. So nothing is a coincidence and nothing is by chance, you know, with the Lord. These people have gone to another level. That's the thing that struck me. Okay, and I haven't come here to make you feel bad. Um, but they've abandoned themselves to Christ. And um, at the time when I was out there, I read a book by Madame Guillon. I don't know if you know about her. Uh, but she had a very, very tough time, and this was speaking to me as well. She had arranged marriage to an older man, persecuted by her mother-in-law for years. Even ended up in the Bastille. And she was innocent. But, you know, um, there's a story that I read in the book. It says this, a woman entered into, into a conversation with her when Madame Guillon was in the company of the mayor's wife. And the woman spoke in a very learned way about spiritual things and aired her opinions authoritatively and with finality. Madame Guillon was repelled but remained quiet, feeling grieved at God being discussed in such a way. The woman returned the following day and said, God drew me so powerfully yesterday. This is the mayor's wife now. God drew me so powerful yesterday that I cannot hold out against him. I've come to tell you so. And Madame Guillon thought that the, uh, this mayor's wife was talking about the other woman, that she had impressed her. 
but she was wrong. Oh, it wasn't what she said. It wasn't her talking. It was your silence. It was your silence that spoke to me in the depths of my heart. I could not enjoy what she was saying to me at all. It was the voice of the bridegroom shining through Madame Guillon that drew the mayor's wife to himself. And Madame Guillon had reached another level. And this other level involves John 12, 24. I tell you the truth, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Now, the other level, this other level, is the work of God in the inner man. Um, Wang Mindao was 40 years in a communist jail. He said, when he came out, I've had a honeymoon with Jesus. Can you understand that? Something else going on here, isn't there? This man's gone to another level, that he can spend 40 years in a communist jail and come out and say, I've gone to another level, that I've had a honeymoon with Jesus. Well, what about this inner man? I want to spend a little bit of time on that. Ephesians 3.16 says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. We've got an inner being. We have an inner being. And we look at it briefly. And uh, uh, I'm not a great preacher, but I've got three heads. Reality, rebirth, rise, okay? Reality of the inner man, rebirth of the inner man, the rise of the inner man. Now, the reality of the inner man, Genesis 2, 7, it says, uh, man became a living soul. The soul is the life center of a human being. It's the deepest part of us. We have an outer life, which is visible, public, but we've also got an inner life. I mean, I can't tell what you're thinking now. It shows that you've got some kind of inner life. Before we became Christians, that inner life the soul has been infected and affected by sin. Sin has spoilt the creation of God. And the Bible says the soul that sins will die. We've all sinned, so we're all going to die. It's where we go when we die that can be altered. And Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. Lost souls are on their way to an eternity without God. You know, we give a tract out in Carmarthen on Saturday nights. It's great, actually. It's got flames on the front. And a picture of, uh, it says, uh, what you have to do to go to hell. Do you know people take it? I've had people who've rejected tracts for years. They take one about hell, and they open it up, and it's empty. There's not a word inside. The words are on the back. Because you don't have to do anything to go to hell. You're on the way there anyway. It's amazing how they're willing to take that. Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. People are on their way to an eternity without God. And we've sung about Christ dying on the cross for you and me so that our souls, the real us, do not have to end up in a lost eternity. Hell, that is, of course. Hunger for God comes from the inner man. Thirst from God, for God comes from the inner man. There's, there is a real inner man in you. That's the reality. People fill it up with all kinds of things, don't they? Drink, drugs, you name it. They try and fill it with anything. Money, etc. Ambition. Secondly, the rebirth of the inner man. Now, if you become a Christian by repenting of your sin and accepting Jesus as your saviour, then your soul is safe for eternity. Hebrews 6.19 says of the Christian, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, 
it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. You can only enter that inner sanctuary to be with God. If you're in a man, your soul belongs to Jesus. That's why Jesus told a very religious man in John 3, and you know this, you must be born again. Something's got to happen to your soul. In other words, that inner man must be in the possession of Jesus Christ. The inner man, your soul, comes alive to the things of God for the first time when you accept Christ. You can't go to heaven and be with God as you are. 1 Corinthians 15 says, this is Paul speaking, I declare to you, brother, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. We don't go to heaven like this. We can't. You know, I used to do a lot of fishing in Cardigan Bay. Instead of studying, I was out in the boat because my dad didn't have a car with a boat. And um, I used to pull all his mackerel in, 30 dozen in the summer every day, and sell them on the beach. Sixpence to the locals, a shilling to the English. The people who were visitors, I should say. I used to make a lot of money. And um, I used to be like that. I'm not like that anymore. And, um, but you know the thing that struck me about those fish? I used to pull them in by the dozen, smack them on the head. They used to flap in the bottom of the box. And I thought to myself, why don't they live? It's oxygen they need. They can't. They've got the wrong equipment. They can't live in the air, even though they need oxygen because they've got the wrong equipment. We can't go to heaven as we are unless you've got the right equipment. You've got to belong to the Lord Jesus. The inner man is reborn when the Holy Spirit comes into a person and a person becomes a new creation in Christ. But to move on, rise of the inner man. Now, having become a Christian with your soul in safekeeping, what happens to the inner man then? And maybe this applies to most of us here. What is the state of your inner man? Do you desire to go to another level? I do. Paul in Ephesians 3.16 is concerned about the growth of the Christian church in Ephesus. He's concerned about their souls. He does not want them staying in the same place or even going backwards. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, in your inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, why does he say this to the Ephesian believers? Because he wants to see them grow in the Lord. He wants to see them shining out the Lord Jesus. And he knows that can only happen if the inner man is flooded with the Lord Jesus. He knows that to respond to the Lord's working of the cross in your life means abandonment. Paul is also concerned about the Galatians, of course. He tells them in Galatians 4.19, something very similar. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. How formed is Jesus in you? How formed is in me? See, the people we met, Christ is formed in them. That's why Muslims are looking at them and saying, hey, these people are different. They know the Lord. Madame Guillon, they knew she was different. She didn't have to say anything when that mayor's wife was there. It shone through her. That doesn't mean we keep quiet about our faith. Of course not. Paul is eager that the inner man, the Christ in them, grows, rather than is diverted or squashed by bad teaching or self. Well, then, how does the inner man, the Christ in us, grow? How do we go to another level? 
But Philippians 2, there's lots of passages in the Bible to speak to you about this. But Philippians 2 speaks about the humility of Jesus Christ. It goes on to say about how we can shine as stars in a dark world. Verse 14 says, that's why I wanted that red, that passage of Scripture red. The one thing that annoyed God in the Old Testament was complaining. Didn't read all of it. So going to another level means acceptance, not complaining. We belong to an almighty God who we believe is sovereign. And whatever happens to us, he allows. He brings good out of it. And this is where we can learn so much from the suffering church. They've come to accept what God sends their way. They don't go kicking and screaming into the weak. Listen to what Pastor Mikhail Korev, he's passed away now, great Russian evangelist said. He spent many years in prison. The prison guard taunted him about not being able to be with his family. And he replied this, I would like to tell you that my God is fulfilling his plans through you, he says to the guard, through you, and will use you for our blessing. I love my family very much, and being together with them means a lot to me. But if it brings more honor to the Lord for us to be apart, then why should I insist on seeing them? If his name is glorified more through my being in prison than through my being at liberty, then I tell you that there is no greater joy for me than to die in this prison bunk, on this prison bunk, as a prisoner, as my father did, and many of my brothers in the faith have done. No complaining from Pastor Koref. None at all. He'd gone to another level. A saint realizes that it is God who engineers his circumstances. Consequently, there's no complaints, only unrestrained surrender to Jesus. Oswald Chambers said that as well. Now, in Exodus, like I said, the one sin that upset God, and they all upset him, of course, but the one thing that comes through was the complaining of the people of God. But do we complain? Do you know, going to another level in the inner man means no complaining. No complaining. Listen to what Galina, a Russian Christian, said. All my suffering is worthwhile, even if we were to reach only one person for Christ. And she's in Siberia. No complaining. Pastor Chen of China said, I can say that I've experienced God's love in such a special way in the concentration camp as I have not experienced at any other time in my life. No complaining. Give the Lord your problems. Somebody said this, your problems become God's plans the moment you give the problems to him. No complaining. That's the first thing, acceptance. Secondly, going to another level means abasement, not self-seeking. We know that Philippians 2 is all about the humility of Jesus, that he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. And there's a great danger, great danger in Christian life. Do you know what, what, what these trips do for me? It makes me feel small. In Carmarthen, you can be a big fish in a small pond. I don't intend to be that. I don't want to be that. But you know what pride is like? And you know what it does going to these places? It brings you down rock bottom. I told Marion Thomas once that it made me feel like that. And he said, that's too big. Maybe he's got a point. But, you know, the Christian life is 
fraught with danger to want to be somebody. That will not take us to the next level in the inner man. The, the, the disciples, if you remember, even when Jesus was about to go to the cross, were vying for position. Luke 22, 24. Also dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. And also we see Jesus stating in John 5, 44, how can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? You know, very simply, to go to another level means we become nothing. The way up is down. Going to another level means acceptance. Going to another level means abasement. And going to another level, finally, means agreement with God. Good word in Welsh, you know, pudi. If you know the word pudi, it doesn't quite translate in English. It's sulking in a big time. Uh, and many have sulked at God because of things have not turned out the way they wanted them to do, to turn out. So they turned their back on him and they pouted. If we ever want to go to another level with God, we have to be humble and accept what he sends our way. And much of what comes our way isn't nice. But see God in it. He's trying to take you to another level. The, another level of his inner being. It's where Madame Guillaume had reached. Much of our problems are of our own making. But if we seek God and keep close to him, we will grow more like Christ. And referring to a book I read recently, God uses problems to correct you, to inspect you, to perfect you. I couldn't sum it up better than that. Problems are character builders. God is far more interested in your character than your comfort. If you give yourself, if you give God your right to yourself, I've read this as well, he will make a holy experiment out of you. And his experiments always succeed. Isn't that nice? If you hand yourself over and say, Lord, okay, I've been fighting you on this issue, or I, I, I'm poodying or whatever, I'm handing it over to you, he'll make a holy experiment out of it, and he will succeed. His experiments never fail. Christian singer Helen Berhan, and you know about her, she spent two years in a, in a container in Eritrea. She said, Christianity costs you your life, but at the end its outcome is victory. And one pastor in a seminar in Indonesia, open door seminar, when told of having to survive suffering, he leapt up and said, my brother, please don't teach us to survive, teach us to be faithful. All God asks us to be is faithful. He didn't poody. Jonah poody, didn't he? If you read the book of Jonah, if we want to go to a deeper level in the inner man, we need to be in agreement with God's ways. And his ways are perfect. People become Christians from Adam Guillon. People can become Christians in Morocco because people have gone to another level in the inner man. Shall we pray? <clears throat> Father, I've been uh, speaking as much to myself as to anybody else here, and I pray that you'll take anything else off the flesh and just erase it from our minds, and anything that's of value, Lord, that will make us shine the Lord Jesus more to other people. We just pray that you'll use that in our lives. In this coming week, Lord, time is short, and we, we want to be the best we can for you and uh, to shine out so that others, we see the Lord Jesus in us, so that this... Uh, this Christ in us will grow and others will see him in us. We won't have to say much.
because they'll see it in us. Oh, Lord, hear our prayers and help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much.